We've been talking about the glorious church, amen, and how the church can rise up and enter into the glory that God had ordained for the church in a number of ways. And one of the ways that we've been talking about is the church needs to rise up and be willing to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, amen? Let's begin with our introductory foundational scripture, Romans 3.23 from the New King James Version. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For years, many of us, when we approached that verse, we approached it in a negative fashion. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the emphasis was on the sin. Amen. But the Lord spoke to me years ago and said, there's more to do with the glory in that verse than there is to do with the sin. And he asked me to take a closer look, and I did. And if you dig into the original Greek language, you'll find that one of the meanings for the phrase, the glory of God, is the concept of the viewpoint or expectation of God or the way he sees things. Thus, one of the major ways we fall short of the glory of God is to fall short of the expectation or the viewpoint or the way that God sees us live in our lives. Amen? The greater truth of Romans 3.23 is this. Falling short of the glory of God is is more than just missing it every once in a while. It's more than just uh, falling to sin occasionally. It's failing to rise to the glory that God ordained for you before the universe was formed, before time itself existed. Amen. There was a glory that was ordained for you as an individual, and you need to rise to it. And we individually need to rise to it so that we can collectively rise to it as a church and be that glorious church that Isaiah talks about in Isaiah chapter 60. Amen. Falling short of the glory of God is also failing to see yourself the way that God sees you. God sees you as an overcomer. God sees you as a mighty deliverer. But we're down in the wine press like Gideon, hiding from the enemy. And God sends an angel and says, you mighty man of valor. There's a conflict between the way we see ourselves and the way God sees us. Amen. Paul declares in Ephesians 5.27 that Jesus is coming for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, a holy church without blemish, a church, as I've said many times, in my opinion, that has not yet arisen, but it is time for the glorious church to arise. Amen? Amen. Romans 8, 18 and 19, we have been reading this, but I thought it would be good for a change of pace to read it in the New Living Translation because it brings out a nuance that I really want to get across to you this morning. Paul says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. He's talking about a future glory that will be revealed to us and in us as the glorious church. Verse 19, he says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Amen. The world needs to find out who the children of God really are, who the church really is. We need to start acting like the sons and daughters of God that we were created to be. And I tell you, when we do, the world is going to see us in a different light. It's time to rise up and be the man and woman that God called you to be. Amen. Glory to God. Now, there's four things that we talked about that we need to do to become the glorious church. Number one, we must walk in the authority that Jesus delegated to the church. And we spent some time talking about that. Number two, we must walk in the power that Jesus has given to the church. Amen. We spent some time talking about that as well. 
And we must walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit that demonstrate to the world that God is real. We've been centering in on that the last three or four weeks. Number four, we must walk in the love that has been so lavishly poured out upon us. None of these things work without love. Faith works by love, the Bible says. And the gifts of the Spirit also work by love because the gifts of the Spirit, whether you realize it or not, are an extension to the world, I believe, primarily to the world of God's love for them. So they can see that He's real, that He's alive, He knows where they are, and He knows what's going on in their lives, and He's there to help. Amen? So we're going to continue discussing number three. We must walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit that demonstrate to the world that God is real. Amen. If we're going to be the glorious church that God has called us to be, we have to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Amen. We have to go from John 3.16 to Luke 3.16. John 3.16 says that you can be saved by faith in the Son of God. Luke 3.16 says... John baptized with water, but the one coming after him, Jesus, he would baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And I'm telling you, anything Jesus has for me, I'm in line. I want it. There's people out there that are afraid of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Don't be afraid of what Jesus wants to give you. Amen. Well, do I have to speak in tongues? No, you don't have to speak in tongues, but you get to speak in tongues. Amen. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's a tool that you need in your life if you're going to grow and become the man or woman of God that he created you to be. Amen. So let's read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which lays out the gifts of the spirit. Verse one says now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. God doesn't want you ignorant about the gifts of the spirit. He wants you schooled and learned in the gifts of the Holy Ghost. So when they happen, you recognize them and you go with the flow. Amen. How can you operate in the gifts of the Spirit if you don't know what they are and you don't know how they operate? And we go down to verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. It means it's for the common good. It's for the benefit of everyone. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. I'm going to take a breath. <laughs> but all these worketh that one in the self same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Now pointed out many times, but I think it bears repeating. Paul says all of these gifts come from the same Holy Ghost and they're distributed to the people that he wants to use as he wills. Amen. Remember, we can't manufacture a gift of the Holy Spirit. We just have to flow in it as the Spirit wills. Amen. So we talked about how we can gain a better understanding of the gifts of the Spirit if we categorize them by their characteristic and their operation. There's nine gifts, three categories, three gifts in each category. Vocal or inspirational gifts, called vocal or inspirational because they involve speaking, inspiring, and edifying the body. The vocal gifts are tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Then the revelation gifts, they're called revelation gifts because it involves revelation that's imparted to you by the Holy Ghost that you had no way of knowing unless it was revealed or imparted to you by the Holy Ghost. The revelation gifts are word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. And then the power gifts. 
gifts of healings, gifts of faith, and working of miracles, called the power gifts because they involve a release of God's power. Amen? So last week we finished up on the revelation gifts. This week we'll begin our discussion of the power gifts, specifically today with the special gift of faith and working of miracles, and we'll save gifts of healing for next week. So let's talk about the power gifts. First of all, they're found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, and the first part of verse 10. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. Now, why do we call it the special gift of faith? Well, that's kind of a moniker that's been attached to faith. King James just says faith. But the reason people have called it the special gift of faith is because it's beyond everyday normal faith it's a gift of the spirit if it was normal everyday faith it wouldn't be separated out as one of these nine gifts of the spirit so there's something special about this gift of faith and we'll talk about that the definition of the special gift of faith goes like this the special gift of faith is the most important of the three power gifts the special gift of faith working of miracles and gifts of healing It is a supernatural endowment of faith that is beyond one's ordinary everyday level of faith. It often works through a proclamation of faith by one person which triggers a supernatural faith in another person to receive a miracle. Let's give you a New Testament example. Acts chapter 14, verse 7 through 10. This is Paul and his company. They're in the city of Lystra and we begin at verse 7. And there they preached the gospel, and there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, there's a couple of things I want you to see here. First of all, it says in verse 7, And there they preach the gospel. I heard a preacher on the radio years ago say, I don't preach on healing, I just preach the gospel. And as is my custom, every once in a while, I holler at my radio. And I said, you can't separate the power of God from the gospel of Jesus Christ because the power is inherent in the gospel. You can't separate the two. The same power that saves you, heals you. Amen? So notice here it says, there they preached the gospel. And then later on, Paul perceived he had a word of knowledge. He knew on the inside, he perceived that this man had faith to be healed. And that's why he said, stand up on your feet. Now, if this man did not hear something about healing in the gospel that Paul preached, how did he have faith to be healed? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we know right here in the scripture that healing is an integral part of the gospel. And it was an integral part of Paul's ministry, and it should be an integral part of our ministry. Amen. Wanted to get that out of the way. It's also an excellent passage that illustrates how the gifts of the Spirit work oftentimes in combination. Uh, Notice, special gift of faith was in manifestation. Paul made a proclamation of faith to the lame man. Stand upright on your feet. And something was triggered on the inside of this guy, and he had faith to stand up on his feet although he is born without the ability to walk. He was born lame. But also word of knowledge, because Paul knew on the inside ahead of time he already had the faith that he needed. But let me take it a step further. 
There was also a working of miracles involved there because, listen, if you're born unable to walk, that means that you don't have muscles and sinews or the strength or the bone density. You don't have what it takes from the waist down to actually support the weight of your body so you cannot walk. So I submit to you that there was a lot going on here. First of all, it was a word of knowledge, and then it was a proclamation of faith, which was the special gift of faith, and then it was working of miracles because he was able immediately to stand up and walk. That means that muscle was added, bone density was added, parts were added that weren't there before, so he was able to stand up and walk for the first time in his life. That's working of miracles. Getting ahead of myself. Let me share a personal example of the special gift of faith. This is the only time in my life in my 40-plus years of being spirit-filled and operating the gifts of the Spirit that I know for sure that special gift of faith was operating in my life. Patricia and I were stationed at Naval Air Station Corpus Christi. We were there for three years. I was a flyer for the Marines. I was a flight instructor there. And our three best years with the Marine Corps were with the Navy in Corpus Christi. We loved it. It was a dream assignment. We had a Bible study every Saturday night on base. And this is back before 9-11. And you could get people on and off base by just sending a list. And, uh, and if your name was on the list, you could come into the base. And they could come to Married Officer Quarters 19-2, which is where we lived. And there was a mix of civilian and military people that came to this Bible study. Any night, we would have anywhere from 8 to 12 people. But it was a nice, cozy little Bible study. And I remember uh, I worked at the Chief of Naval Air Training Headquarters. I was a staff officer. I was a flight instructor. But my primary job was a staff officer working for the Admiral, who was the Chief of the Naval Air Training Command. Naval Air Training Command was responsible for training Navy, Marine, and Coast Guard pilots. So we had a mix of Navy, Marine, and Coast Guard on the staff there at the headquarters. There was a, a young Navy yeoman that I developed a relationship with. And uh, she was very young in the Lord. She was a Baptist lady, and uh, she was married, had a little child, and her husband was also in the Navy, and he was stationed halfway around the world on a destroyer. She would just tell me how she loved the Lord, and she got saved, and uh, she and her husband would go to church when they're in the country together. They would go to church together, and we would have conversations about Jesus, and I, and I just was very bold about it, and I've always been bold about this. I said, you know, I believe that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he healed back then, he heals today. The only difference is, instead of healing you personally, he heals through his people in Jesus' name. You know, and she wasn't quite accepting, but she wasn't rejecting it either. So I noticed uh, later on that uh, she just was missing three, four days. I didn't see her. And then days went into weeks and I didn't see her. And I, uh, I didn't know what was going on. It was at least two weeks, if I remember correctly, uh, where I didn't see or hear of this young lady. And I just wondered, Lord, what's going on with this, this young lady? Saturday afternoon, Trisha and I were getting ready for the Saturday night Bible study. Listen, you've got to be dedicated to the Lord to come on a military base on a Saturday night and go to a Bible study, amen? Praise God. But there were people who did. And uh, she called me. She said, Captain Forrest, I was a captain at the time. She said, Captain Forrest, I need your help. She was crying. She was trembling. She was clearly distraught. She said, they say I have MS. I already lost the use of my left leg. I'm already blind in one of my eyes. I can't even take care of my baby. I got my sister here from out of town taking care of my baby. I don't know what I'm going to do. I wish I could describe 
in words what happened to me that day. But I'm standing there holding an old-fashioned rotary phone, and I felt this anger rise up on the inside of me. It was like, how dare the devil attack this young lady while her husband's halfway around the world? And then when I thought that, I felt a mantle come on my head and my shoulders. That's the only way I can describe it. It was like a, it was like a heaviness. There was like something came on my head and my shoulders. And before I knew it, this is what I said to her. I made a proclamation of faith. I said, honey, you get your sister to get you to MOQ 19-2 tonight for this Bible study that we're having. And we're going to lay hands on you and God is going to heal you. And she said, well, Captain Forrest, if you say it, I believe it. And I said, I'll see you tonight. I hung up the phone. Then the anointing lifted. And it was like, what have I just said? <laughs> now, I'm here to tell you that my normal everyday level of faith was not such that I could tackle somebody that had full-blown multiple sclerosis, already in a wheelchair, already blind in one eye. But the Lord knew that I was the only one that she would reach out to. And he equipped me to meet her need. Special gift of faith. I made a proclamation of faith. And you notice she received it. She said, Captain Force, if you say it, I believe it. She came that night. Long story short, we anointed her with oil. We laid hands on her. Nothing happened in the natural. That wasn't instantaneous. But I knew that I knew that I knew she was healed. They took her up to Williford Hall, which is the Air Force Hospital in San Antonio. And I found out she'd been up there for a couple of weeks, and I wanted to go check on her. So I called down to the dispatcher, and I, and I said, is there a T-34 that's not on the schedule that I can fly tomorrow? I need to go to Lackland, and I need to take care of some business. I didn't tell him it was personal church business, but I said, I need a T-34. And to my shock and amazement, they said, yeah, there's one that's not being used. Yeah, sure. So the next morning, I went down. I took my little tote bag with me. I cranked up that T-34, and I flew up to Lackland Air Force Base. It was about a two-hour flight. The whole way, I'm praying in tongues at 17,000 feet. <laughs> anyway, so I landed at Lackland Air Force Base. I parked, bedded down the aircraft. I called a base taxi. I said, I got to get to Wilford Hall. So he drove me over to Wilford Hall. I'm in my flight suit. I go to the main desk. I said, I'm looking for yeoman so-and-so. Well, she's up on floor four, I believe it was. And uh, I go up there and, and, and find the ward nurse, and she'll tell you what room she's in. So I went up to the, I believe it was the fourth floor. I went up to the ward nurse, and I said, where is yeoman so-and-so? And she just said, uh, she's gone. And for a minute, my heart sank. And then she saw the look on my face. She said, no, 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 no. Let me tell you what happened. We've had her up here for two weeks, and we've run every test we know to run on her. And after two weeks, every symptom of MS has completely disappeared from her body. We released her. We sent her home. I tell you what, that flight back in the T-34, I might have been at only 18,000 feet, but I was flying a whole lot higher than that. I was worshiping God all the way home. Can you say Amen. All right, let's talk about working of miracles. 
Let's define working of miracles. Working of miracles occurs when the laws of nature are interrupted or suspended in some way by the direct intervention of the power of God. Parting the Red Sea, commanding no rain for three and a half years, walking on water, stilling a storm with words alone, turning water to wine, making the maimed to be whole are all examples of working of miracles. Amen. Creative miracles are another example. Limbs are restored where they weren't there before. Organs are restored where they've been removed or completely destroyed by disease. That's creative miracles. Now, I want you to indulge me. Chris Flados may be the only person in here that's going to like this part, okay? But we're going to go with it anyway. Listen, I got a PhD in engineering, so the science and the engineering has to come out sometimes. (laughs) Or there's going to be an explosion, amen? So I call this the free geek section. When Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes to feed 5,000 men and their families in John chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, he violated the law of the conservation of mass energy. In 1785, Antoine Lavoisier discovered the law of conservation of mass. It can be briefly stated like this, matter is neither created or destroyed. In 1842, Julius Meyer discovered the law of conservation of energy. In its simplest form, we call it the first law of thermodynamics, i.e., energy is neither created nor destroyed. Then in 1905, Albert Einstein, at the tender age of 26, this is a mind blower to me, he announced his discovery of the equation E equal mc squared, which basically said matter and energy are just different forms of the same thing. (laughs) Consequently, the two laws above were merged into one law called the law of conservation of mass or matter energy. And that means that the total amount of mass and energy in the universe is constant. So when Jesus made more fishes and made more loaves, he totally wrecked that law. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any idea how he did that? Everybody's looking at me like I do. I have no idea how he did that, but this is my best guess. My personal take is that Jesus took energy from another realm, the spirit realm, and he converted it in such a way that more bread and fish were created in this realm, the natural known universe. Either way you think about it, it was a miracle that violated an established law of science and nature, the law of the conservation of mass energy. Amen. So listen, when you operate in working of miracles, you're breaking the law. (laughs) But in a good way. Amen. Glory to God. New Testament example. Luke chapter 17, verse 11 through 19. Chris, did you enjoy that? Give me a big thumbs up. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourself unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, 
Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Now there's a lot here, and we're going to hit the high points. First of all, Jesus said, Go show yourself to the priest. That's because over there in Leviticus chapter 14, there was a prescribed ritual that had to be performed by the priest after you were healed of leprosy. And he's saying, listen, you've been healed. Now go to the priest and do what the law of Moses said that you're supposed to do. Notice it said nine of them were healed. Now, if you know anything about leprosy, you know that leprosy causes parts of your body to rot and fall off. People lose fingers, toes, ears, part of their nose. It's a horrifying disease, horrible disease. Now, I submit to you that the nine that went to the priest and were thanking God that they were healed but did not return to Jesus to glorify God, they got their healing, but they kept their nubs. You know, if their fingers were missing, they were healed of leprosy, but their fingers were still missing, their ears, nose, whatever. But this man came back, and he was the one that shouldn't even have been in the presence of Jesus because he wasn't even a Jew. He was a Samaritan. He fell down at his feet, and he worshiped him, thanking him and giving glory to God. And Jesus said, because of your faith, son, you have been made whole. I submit to you that this is working of miracles. All his fingers were restored, his ears, his nose, his toes, anything that had dropped off was restored by a working of miracles. And again, Jesus broke the law. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now wrap this up with a personal example of working of miracles. This is probably the only time that I know for sure that I operated in working of miracles. I can't even put it in words. I will never forget it as long as I live. It was the most profound miracle that I've ever been personally associated with. Amen. In the mid-80s, Trish and I were stationed at Naval Air Station Corpus Christi, and it was our dream assignment. And we were teaching there in our Bible study on Saturday nights, but also the, the leadership of the church I realized that I had a gift to teach, and they asked me to teach a six-week series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Kind of what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And so we had about, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 people in the class. It met at 9 o'clock before the service. I had an hour to teach the gifts of the Spirit, and I had six weeks to do it. So I guess this was about week three or four, somewhere down the line there. I got to the power gifts. And I started talking about gifts of healing, working of miracles, and special gift of faith. I don't remember how much of it I covered, but I remembered after I taught the class. Now, my wife was there, but she says she was on the back row because she was pregnant with Marcy, our oldest. I got to the end of the teaching, and the Lord just spoke to me. He said, I want to demonstrate. I want to demonstrate what you just taught. I want to confirm what you just taught with signs following. So I just got up behind the podium. I said, listen, the Lord told me he wants to demonstrate. If there's anybody in here that has a need and you want me to lay hands on you and believe God for your healing, I'm ready to do it right now. Well, this guy comes up from the left-hand side, and he appeared to be totally healthy until he got up to me and he turned his right shoulder to me. And I saw on his left side, there was a completely formed shoulder blade on his right side where there should have been a shoulder blade. There was just a hole in his back. He said, I've got some kind of degenerative bone disease. 
I don't have much of a shoulder blade left, and I'm scheduled for orthopedic surgery on Thursday, and uh, can God do something for me? And it was one of those moments again where I felt a mantle come on me, and I, I just heard the Lord say, now speak to that thing. Speak to that shoulder. And so what I did is, I remember I put my left hand in the hole in his back, which was kind of awkward because it drew attention to his deformity. And I put my right hand on his chest. And before I knew what I was doing, I began saying things like, I command you in the name of Jesus, bones grow, ligaments grow, blood vessels grow, muscles grow in the name of Jesus. I command you to grow now in Jesus' name. And within a few seconds, I heard some popping and snapping sounds coming from his shoulder. And as I stood there, God grew him a shoulder blade and pushed my hand out of the hole of his back and grew him a completely new shoulder blade right there in front of uh, 15, 20 witnesses. His eyes got as wide as saucers, and so did mine. He started crying, and so did I. I have never seen such a thing. I saw a man's leg grow six inches, but somebody else did that. This was something that I did in the name of Jesus, and I was just astounded. And I said to Andy, I said, do you feel that? And he said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, the end of that story is Andy didn't have to have surgery because he went to the doctor, and they had x-rays before and x-rays after and basically said, we don't know what happened, but you have a completely normal shoulder blade now, so we're going to cancel the surgery. Praise God, hallelujah, glory to God. Now, I believe the day is coming when this is not going to be just an every once in a while thing. This needs to be a regular thing. We need to believe God, and we've been praying here on Wednesday night for creative miracles to manifest in this place. Let's not shrink back from that. Listen, if God did it in the 80s, he can definitely do it now. Amen? We have to rise to the glory that is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have to realize they're, they're not just for the church. They're primarily for the world so they can find out that God is real. Listen, you should be praying for unbelievers as well as you do believers. You don't have to be somebody special. I wasn't an ordained minister of God. I was a layman. I was a marine pilot. And God used me in special gift of faith and in working of miracles. If he used me, he can use you because I'm not anybody special. Amen. These gifts demonstrate so powerfully that God loves people and he's willing to use his power on their behalf. And these gifts have the potential to change a person's life forever for the glory of God and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection, and He's coming back again.